one? It is. Okay. John 15 says, no greater love, or sorry, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. First thing I want you guys to notice about this specific verse is he doesn't call you a servant, though we are. But even the child is as a slave to 
the household because he's not mature yet and he's not he has not yet received the inheritance. He calls you his friend. He's confiding in you. Being called his friend means he wants to be with you. Because none of us has a friend that we don't want to be with. So God doesn't just love you. He likes you. And he desires to be with you. It's a longing that's in the heart of God. You know, how do we know this? In Genesis it says that God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means in the beginning there was absolutely nothing. Or before the beginning, there was absolutely nothing. And then God created. That means God is sociable. That means he created with intent to have a relationship with. That means when he created us, according to Genesis, on day six, he says, Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He took his time out because he formed them. Everything else he spoke into existence. All the critters, the land, the earth, the universe, he spoke that into existence. But he took the time out to stop and form man and make him in his own image. And then he breathed life into him. This word here for breathe is a really cool word. Because I was expecting it to be ruach, which just simply means spirit. So my argument was going to be stuck with the spirit in the man. Wonderful. But it's not ruach. And it surprised me. Everywhere else it's used as ruach. You know, when God took the breath of life, or all animals with two by two, one on the ark, everything had the breath of life in it. That word was Ruach. The Spirit of God, when, when in Genesis chapter 1, around verse 1, when he helped with the Spirit of God over, over the earth, that word was Ruach. Even in man, back then, it was called Ruach, after this point. But this word's really cool. It's Nashima. It means puff, that is wind, angry or vital, meaning life-giving breath, divine inspiration, intellect, a blast, breath, inspiration, spirit, and soul. Yeah, that word's not used any, you know, for any other of God's creation, but it was a divine intellect that He gave us, specifically making us different from all of other all of God's creation, so that we could have that relationship with Him. Why? Because He desires it. He took that time out to form each and every one of us specifically. Not just here in Genesis chapter 1. Some of you would say, well, that's just Genesis. Well, yeah, it was just Genesis. But how about in Psalms, where it says, For you created my innermost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Again, God's forming him. In the mother's womb, he's taking the time out to know each and every one of us intimately. You want another verse? How about in Job chapter 31? It says, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? That's, that's an almighty, all-powerful God who created the universe. We're these little specks. But 
when we take the time out to realize God created the earth first, and then he created the universe around the earth to sustain it on day four he put in the universe. To sustain his special creation that he had planned for us, for himself, that he could have a relationship with. So we this is this is basically it's, it's set set in stone. The desire that God has for each one of us. He set this as an example for us. In the New Testament, you know, it gives us a little bit better understanding of how far he wanted to go in order to continue to have this relationship with us. At this point, he, where he's still forming, he's still giving us the he's forming us with his hands. But other words for spirit that we read is Ruach in the Old Testament, that's new in the New Testament. And as believers as part of the body of Christ, we do receive that new one. He's still sharing that breath. In the beginning, in the beginning of the garden, if God's desire for intimacy with the sub was so close, and it wasn't just a desire, it was actual intimacy. That Adam and Eve, they knew the rhythm of God when he walked in that area. Just, they said they heard the God walking in the garden, so they hid. Now, most of us who are or have been married, we or even had people that our hearts cried out to when we were, you know, in the past. We've all had the experience where a loved one has walked into the room and you just happened to turn and somehow you knew that they were there. That relationship, that intimacy, that desire to be with them was there to actually feel a tangible presence of that person when they walked into the room. Adam and Eve had that relationship. But that relationship was broken when they chose to sin. When they somehow just kind of drifted away from that relationship, just a little bit. Enough where they decided when they messed up, they wanted to take matters into their own hands. They wanted to, they, they put each other as an idol. They wanted to uh, try to fix their own sin by covering themselves up, hiding from God. As God's doing them. As C.S. Lewis says, God is ravish you. He woos you. He gently calls you. Gives you a chance. Gives you a chance to come out and come to him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon anybody. But his love is always there. His love is always crying out to you. So. God desired this relation so much that ultimately in order to fix this wrong that we did. He never, he never, first off, he never stopped taking our time out to spend time with each and every one of us, beginning at the womb. At least according to these few verses that we just read. He never stops wooing us, because, and he never stops his desire to share with us. So one of the biggest things that kept coming out of my heart as I was doing this study is, are we close enough to God to share his breath? You know, past few years the expression, you know, I haven't been close enough to God this this week that God's told me to scoot over. Well, that's a good one. I, uh, I like to do that. This God really spoke to my heart. Am I close enough to God to be sharing his bread? This uh, Nashima, his Ruach, his Numa. And he, he, he ends up opening this up for us in, in the New Testament. 
perfect time and the fullness of time to live that perfect life for us. Though I've been doing many studies, you know, on agape, agapeo. I wanted to get up here and proclaim how agapeo is unconditional love. I couldn't find that in my own studies. What I did find out was yeah, with agapeo, for God so agapeo the world. You know, it's only been translated as love 135 times it was used for beloved. That's personal love shared between two people directly. Now, agape, which you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is more of a, is a socialized love. You know, that you show to people in general. It's agapeo. It's the God's agapeo of the world. Agapeo the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And second command is like that. Agapeo your neighbor. Specifically love. The love of your neighbor. As you agapeo as you yourself. As you specifically love yourself. So, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, was the general love that we need to be showing to everybody. The benevolence. It, 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 part of the definition of the for was brotherly love, affection, goodwill, benevolence, love peace. It's a social thing to share with everybody. But this agapeo was something that was shared between specifics. So that really struck my attention. The Bible says, I pray that out, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in agapeo, love, may have, or may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep, is the love of Christ. And we want to remember, Jesus is God. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the stuff that holds everything. He knows all things. He knows all things are made through Him. So how great is the love of the Creator who brings this this Neshima this divine intellect, divine inspiration or intellect, this inspiration is the Holy Spirit on day six. How great is this love? He never stopped walking us in his mother's room. He never stopped spending his time with you from the very beginning. He never stopped wooing you from the time that you rejected Christ as a young child, a teenager, even an adult, after, you know, potentially you never knowing him. As I had, or uh, being hurt by in the church somehow and rejecting him. He never stops wooing you. He never stops that calling. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. He's waiting for you to say, and I am yours. See, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Again, that word is agapeo, specifically love. For the world was so beloved to God that He gave His only Son. And yes, the world is general, but as we just discussed, He created each one of us with intent 
not just at the beginning of Adam and Eve, but each one of us in our mother's wombs. We are that beloved. For God so beloved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not die, but have everlasting life. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. It's because of that wooing, that, that subtle call. I mean, there's a gentle breeze going through uh, through here, you know. It's, it's not a rushing wind that freezes you out and ravishes you. It's a gentle breeze that's calling you to enjoy the presence of God. You know, it's 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 nice. You know, the presence of God's been here all day. It's moving us to get close to Him, to share that breath. To get close enough to God to share breath. Share that spirit. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And with this, for this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like love your neighbor as yourself. Again, our example is because he first loved us. He took that time out to form us, to get close enough us to. This, share breath, breathe with each other, to walk with him. There's a, in the book, the story of the prodigal son. You know, we read, when we read the prodigal son, and this is focusing on the son, because that's what we like to focus on, because we like to associate with the son, we forget the father, we run away from him, you know, we get hungry enough, we return. But what about the father when he stayed home? When the son, he gave both sons, he says, he gave the inheritance to them. Meaning, he gave the inheritance to both sons. One stayed, one left. But when the one left, here's, here's what we can learn from the story. He gave us free will. He gives us free will to choose. See, love that's forced is not love that's robotic. You can actually love anybody unless you have the choice and the ability to decide not to love them. Gives each and every one of us that choice. Do we want to get closer to him? Or do we want to look in our own life? Do we want to hide in the garden as he's walking by? Do want to walk with us? Wanting to share a little breath with us? After the son left, the father he waited. He waited for that son to return. And then he began his wooing. In Hebrews, it talks about we have an advocate of Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. This Father is an example of Jesus. He was sitting, though, though the text does not say it, it's, I believe it's implied that he was sitting there praying to God for his son to return. He watched. It says that when the son was a long ways off, the father saw. It doesn't say the son saw the father. But then the father he ran to him, embraced and kissed him. He got close enough to share a little breath. Then he restored him. And then they celebrated. To put it in this context, it says, So he got up, meaning the son, and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And now the father just becomes his son, and he says, everything he just said. Because that's not what's important. What was important is he came to him. He came close enough to his heart. You can't hug somebody without sharing, without your heart's touching. He came close up to his heart. And then he kissed him, and they were able to share that breath. I'm not talking necessarily mouth to mouth, because I'm just talking just being open up in their presence. It's one thing talking to somebody face to face, or like I am right now. It's something else to get really close to somebody and you start talking to them and sharing with them. It means so much more. It personalizes it. And that's what God's doing with each and every one of us. That's his desire to get close enough that when we speak to each other, our breath will mix. He's the, it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on the finger. That ring is a symbol of possession. It's like I wear a wedding ring. That's a symbol that I belong to my wife. I belong to my beloved. She wears one. It says that she belongs to me. Put a ring, put it on my son. Get the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He's preparing him to present himself to himself. And Lord, well, I'll get to that in just a second. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Is that context? You know, three things you need to remember when you study the Bible. Context, context, context. You know? If you know those three things, you can learn a lot out of the Bible. But there was a celebration. Every time you can get that communion with God, that closeness, that He's yearning, there's a celebration. Just like when... One person returns to repent, all the angels in heaven celebrate. There's still a celebration here when the Son is reunited with the Father in that embrace. Part of my testimony is when I got when I got saved, when Jesus came to me in my dreams, all you ever had to do is ask forgiveness of your sins and acknowledge that you your life and you would live. I did that on my knees, and when I got up, he embraced. See, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. No is the head of his church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, who also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, because Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for himself, or in loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church, 
just as the father dressed his son, put on the robe, put on the ring, put on the sandals, to present his son radiant back into himself. Without stain or wrinkle, he took the best robe and put it on his son. Or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound ministry, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. None of my husbands and wives. That was the example. But he specifically Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And he must and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, let's read it in the way that Paul just said. I'm not talking about this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Wives, we are the bride of Christ. Submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. This is a husband wife relationship, or engagement to take my ring and put it on my son. Thank you. 
reading the Word of God. And now the Holy Spirit's working through us to cleanse us. Okay? As far as, as husbands go, that implies we're reading the Word of God to our wives. As far as the church goes, that implies we're reading the Word so that He can wash us and make us clean. Presenting us to us pure and spotless, blameless and holy to Himself. Because He who knew no sin, Jesus, The teaching was, I can find the second part of it through what I studied, but not necessarily the first part. But it says that the, to, for a husband to love his wife, uh, lift her up, elevate her, put her on the pedestal. And I can see how Christ would do that with the church. He does do that with the church, if we let him. And then for the woman to respect her husband, he's going to bow when the bride is elevated, and you elevate her, and she bows down, you look right eye. You're close enough to share breath. And again, remember, maybe I didn't focus on it because I should have, but Agapeo also dealt with moral. It's, it says to love in a social or moral sense. That's Agapeo. That's what we're talking about. A specific love that was only translated as beloved or love. It was to love in a social and moral sense. He loves us in a social and moral sense. So much so that, again, he died for us. He formed us. 
He brings life into us. And He will change you if we listen to His voice. You know, I love my wife in a social and moral sense. I lift her up and I build her up. And she does the same thing to me. We're supposed to love our neighbor. I can fail our neighbors to love them in a social and moral sense. To build them up socially and morally. Man, can you imagine what would be like if we live like that? It'd be pretty wild. What makes us different? It's the love we have for one another. And sharing it and expressing it. As Pastor just said, we in the church that helps the community, serves the community in a social and moral sense. To agapeo your neighbor as you agapeo yourself. See, the word, there's a phrase called unfailing love. And that phrase is actually used 40 times in the Old Testament. 38 times of which was used by to describe God's love for us. God's love is unfailing love. Period. Only twice, uh, 38 times, was it not used to describe God. And they were both found in Proverbs. What a man desires to have found in love, to be poor, or it's better to be poor than a liar. That's Proverbs 19.22. What each and every one of us desires is that unfailing love. And we've got a lover of our soul that's wooing us. The other verses, many claim to have unfailing love. But a faithful person, who can find Anything, any kind of try to find love outside of God. No matter what they claim, well, I'll always be there. Yeah, I'll always love you. Well, they're human. It's not God. Therefore, it's not unfailing. Now we can have unfailing love. As we hug and embrace the Father. As we share our breath. Then he gives us the ability to share that unfailing love with everybody. But when we step outside of that, we step outside of our ability to share that unfailing love. As we step back into it and embrace the Father, now we can flow through that. Now we can love because he first loved us. This is what we love, what we know how we know love is to give. Our love is to give up your life for a friend. You know, I think believe another verse is this is what we know what love is that Christ died for us.
But this time she's impressed these people so much about the love of her beloved. And now his friends want to look for him with her. My beloved has gone down to the garden. She knows exactly where God's at. Do we know where our beloved's at? To the beds of the spices, to browse the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. You are beautiful, as Israel, my darling. This is again God speaking. You are beautiful, each and every one of you. This is as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops of banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Can you imagine looking with Jesus with such love in your heart? Jesus, turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. The heart, the passion that you have for me, the love and desire. The beloved, or the lover in this case, is being overwhelmed by her eyes. Your hair is like flocks of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like flocks of sheep coming up from washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind you are like the halves of pomegranates. This is what I wanted to get to. Sixty queens there may be. Eighty concubines and virgins. Beyond number, but my dove. My perfect one is unique. Only daughter of her mother. The favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queen's concubines praised her. Each one of you he's calling unique. As he formed each and every one of you in your mother's womb. Each and every one of you for his special purposes. To know you in a way that you may have never experienced. In a special way. And that relationship especially in Hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awaken, I'm still with you. So my challenge, if you have not already done it, is to open your hearts to the Lord of God. To embrace Him. To embrace what He has for you. To embrace a closeness, a security, a significance, a love that you may have never experienced before. And then share it. Father God, I just pray, I just pray you just continue to touch our hearts, that you work in our hearts, you let these truths set in. I pray that your spirit speaks to the spirits of everybody here, and they just grow in your intimacy with you. I just pray that this doesn't come across as just words, but as real truths and a continuation of your wounds to each and every one of us. That we are special. We are significant. We are protected. 